Word of God, Lord, that transforms lives. We ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 24. We'll continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. And, and I'm going to relieve many of you right away who are about to pass out that there's 60-some-odd verses in this chapter. And you went, oh, no. I got up at 4 o'clock this morning to go hammer, you know, build a house. I'm going to die. No. Guys, we're going to look at the first 27 verses tonight and the rest of it next week. Okay? All right. 27 verses tonight, I believe. Let me look at my outline. And the rest of it, yes, 27 verses tonight, the rest of it next week. All right. As we come to this chapter... We've already seen God doing great and miraculous things in the life of Abraham. We know that Abraham blew it early on. Abraham, he was a faithful man who went out not knowing where he was going, but then a famine came and he ran down to Egypt. And Abraham is someone I think we can all relate to. A man who's on fire for God at one moment and then gets in his flesh and fearful and circumstances cause him to rely upon himself and go away from the Lord. But finally, as we've watched chapter after chapter, him telling his wife to pretend to be his sister and at the same time, then he would go out and rescue Lot and all the people of Sodom with a, a much smaller army, acts of faith and acts of fear and faithlessness, telling his wife to lie yet again. We finally come to chapter 32, and we see why he's in the hall of faith. In chapter 32, God tells him to offer up his son Isaac. If you were not here, let me encourage you to grab that tape. They're always free. CDs are always free. We'll never charge for the Word of God here. Either a Bible itself or the CDs. Help yourself, please. But what a great picture of Jesus Christ throughout that chapter. As Isaac carries the wood, goes up Mount Moriah. The highest point of Mount Moriah is Mount Calvary. And a couple thousand years before Jesus came to earth, we see a son willingly laying down his life to be sacrificed. And God stops Abraham, and it says he provided himself a sacrifice in his place. Last week, we saw Abraham dealing with death. And I know for some people that was a heavy chapter. But let me encourage you again. What, a, what, a, uh, what an encouragement to see how a mature man deals with death. As Christians, we die well. And as Christians, we weep, but not as those without hope. His wife of 100 and plus years goes to be with the Lord. And I'm certainly, of course, we grieve. And of course, there's heartache. But praise God for his love, his grace, and his mercy. And God never brings us through anything that's too difficult for us to bear. He comes alongside us. He's a faithful God. So that brings us to chapter 32. And now as we come to chapter 32, Isaac, his son of promise. Remember, Isaac came to him, a miraculous birth, right? Uh, In a type of Jesus who is the most miraculous birth, right? Immaculate conception. But here we see Isaac, the fulfillment of prophecy, born to a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother who had been barren her entire life. And God had a plan for Isaac. He indeed is the son of promise. And as we come to tonight's chapter, Abraham is aging, and Isaac, the son of promise, is 40 years old and still not married. And so Abraham, as he's getting older, is preparing, and he's, you know, God has done great things through him. But now the thing that is most urgent, becoming most urgent upon his heart, is to see his son Isaac be married. But not just married, but married to God's woman. The woman God would have for him. Because through that line would come the Messiah. Through that line, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now, this chapter kind of retells the story twice. In the first half, we see the actual incidents happening. And in the second half, we see the servant of Abraham, who I believe was Eliezer, retelling 
the same circumstances again to Rebecca's family. So here's what I want to do. This week, we're going to look at these circumstances, this story from the heart of the servant who was called by God through Abraham to go out and do this awesome work. Now, next week, we're going to look at the same story and we're going to look at it in the second half of the chapter. It's got a little more detail. But in the second half of the chapter next week, we'll look at it from the perspective of Abraham, Rebecca, Isaac, and Laban. Now, we're certainly going to touch on them this morning, but I want the real focus to be this faithful servant who's used so mightily by God in these such incredible circumstances. Okay? So, if you are a note-taker, title the message, The Heart of a Faithful Servant. The heart of a faithful servant. First of all, the, a faithful servant knows the heart of his master. How can we faithfully serve one whose heart we don't know? So a faithful servant must first know the heart of his master. Number two, uh, the heart of a faithful servant responds in faithful obedience to his commands. So he knows his heart, he hears his heart, he hears his commands, and then he obeys. That's a faithful servant. A faithful servant doesn't just know his heart and then blow it off and not do it. A faithful servant knows it and responds in obedience to it. Number three, a faithful servant comes to the Lord in specific believing prayer. Guys, we know the heart of our master, but now we, we still need to come to him in prayer, seeking wisdom, seeking direction, to know his heart, to be comforted by him, to be led by him, to be strengthened by him. And then finally, the heart of a faithful servant waits patiently for God to answer. So let's begin looking at the heart of a faithful servant. First of all, he knows his master's heart. Look at verse 1. It says, now Abraham was old. Now this poor guy, how many times he's been called old so far? I mean, all the way back when, he, when we found out, it said he was good as dead in Hebrews, right? And him as good as dead. Now, 40 years after as good as dead. That's really old, right? And you know, usually you're afraid of offending somebody. Anybody here 140? Okay, because I didn't think so. So you won't be offended no matter how old you are. But it says Abraham was old. And so, you know, as we age, even, you know, even when you get, you know, just younger ages, the older you get, you start to reflect a little bit on your life. It wasn't very long ago when I realized, you know what, my life is probably, you know, again, even if the Lord doesn't return, my life is probably more than half over. You know, and I think about that, I'm 45, unless I live to be 90, my life's more than half over. And I think about that, I think, okay, Lord, I've already had, I probably won't have as much time in front of me as I've had behind me. And you know what it does? It puts a sense of urgency in my heart to be busy about his work, amen? Lord, I've got so much time left. Let me be faithful with whatever time I have. Well, as Abraham's getting older, as Abraham you know, realizes, okay, my time... Now, he does live quite a bit past this. We'll see this in future chapters. But at this point, he doesn't know that. And as he's getting older, there's things that become urgent upon his heart. Now, it says there, he was well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So, again, he looks at his life. It's rich. It's blessed. But even in the midst of all of that, he realizes there's some more things I want to see God do. There's some other things that I want to see come to fruition before I go to be with the Lord. And one of those things we're about to see is that his son would marry the right woman. He had accomplished a great deal. He'd been incredibly blessed. But one thing remained heavy upon his heart, that proper bride for his son. So Isaac's the son of promise. His bride, again, would then be the mother of a multitude of nations. As we'll see, more specifically next week, a type and a picture of the church. 
you know, Isaac, a picture of the son of promise, a picture of Christ, Rebecca, a picture of the church. And so it's very important that this woman that he married, it's a, no marriage more important than this one. And you know what, though? That being said, every marriage is important to God. Amen? Every marriage is important to God. And we'll touch on that this week and some more next week as well. And certainly more than how these two would come together. And that's, we're going to see that that's significant. But in his heart was not just how they would come together, but how they would function as husband and wife. And I'll, I'll talk about this. I'll hit on this a few times. Most of you know that my daughter was married less than a year ago. And I want to tell you that one of the things that consume me about her and now consumes me about my boys, I prayed from when my daughter was first born for the man she would marry one day. And I did not take it lightly. And when I walked down the aisle and took her hand out of my hand and put it in Kevin's hand, I was saying before Almighty God that I believe that up until this point, I've had spiritual headship over her life. And now I believe that this is the man that God foreordained before the foundation of the world to take my place. And God indeed has called him to be her husband. And God indeed has called, her, called him to take spiritual headship in her life. Don't take, I do not take that lightly. Now, here's Abraham. He knows his son is the son of promise. He's praying for his daughter-in-law. And he has burdens for who his daughter-in-law is going to be. What kind of woman is she going to be? He knows if he marries the wrong woman, it's going to be a disaster. Can I encourage you with something? The second most important decision you are going to make in your lifetime, second only to giving your life to Jesus Christ, is the person you're going to marry. And can I encourage you with something? Don't do it in haste. Make sure you've heard from God. Seek after him. And if you're married already, you be faithful. That's God's highest. Amen? And so Abraham, he's 140 years old. He's looking at his son. His wife's gone, you know, to be with the Lord. Now, I love this because as we move on, he's 40, Isaac, and he still trusts his dad to pick out his wife. How well do you think that would go over today? Can you imagine you called your 40-year-old son? Hey, uh, son, you're 40. Time for you to be married. So just want you to know I'm going to be interviewing candidates for the next two weeks. You're getting married two weeks from Saturday, four o'clock. Don't be late. I'm going to, you know, mom, you must have lost your mind. Dad, you're out of your mind. There's no way. But I love the servant's heart of Isaac, the same heart that laid down on the wood at Mount Moriah. Says, you know what? You're my dad. You hear from God. I trust you. It's interesting. We were in India and I went to the girls Bible college one of the, day, one of the, one of the trips. I think it was the second trip I went. And I met a, a, a sweet, godly, young Indian woman, and she had a brand new baby, and she was like 35 years old, and she had gotten married in her mid-30s. And I said to her, really? I said, you know, so there are arranged marriages here in India? She said, yes. And I said, so how did you feel about that? You know, and she said, well, I, she met her husband on Friday, married him on Saturday. How do you do, right? <laughs> By the way, it's the rehearsal dinner, and here's your husband, right? I mean, whoa, right? But I asked her, I said, so she said, you know what? I love him in an incredible way. You know why? Because I knew all along that God had always picked him out to be my husband. And I knew that my parents loved God and they were seeking his face. And I knew whoever they brought to me would be the man God had for me. And you know what? I never had any pressure of dating. I never had to worry about it. I just knew in God's timing, he would bring me my husband and he's the greatest guy ever. And I love him. And I thought, wow, we could learn a little bit from that. Amen. And so we see the same heart in Isaac here. 
He's willing to allow his dad. His dad still has spiritual headship, even though he's 40. And it says, so Abraham said, okay, so his son needs to be married. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant in his house, who ruled over all that he had, please please put your hand under my thigh. Now, the oldest servant in the house, we know some 50 or so years earlier, maybe 60 years earlier, was Eleazar. And the reason we know that is that when the Lord came to Abraham and said that he would have an heir, he didn't believe him. He said, oh, I'll just give my, you know, I'll just make my servant my heir, Eleazar. And now it's interesting, Eleazar means God is help. And I believe in this text, and we'll see this even more next week, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit Eleazar, the helper, is being sent by the father to go and get the bride for the son. Guys, is that the Bible or what? Is that the New Testament? Because what happens in the New Testament? After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is sent out to gather up the church to present us a pure and spotless bride to Jesus Christ when he returns. Amen? Guys, this is the picture. Isaac, a picture of Christ. Eleazar, God is my help, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the Father sending him out to do his work. So Eleazar, put your, imagine being the servant. Here you are, Eleazar. You've been serving Abraham 60, 70, 80 years. I don't know how long, but a long time. You're the most trusted servant in his house. It says in that verse there that he gave him care over everything, which means he trusted him with every possession he had. You know what? I trust you completely, implicitly, all of it. And then your master calls you in, and then he says to him, put your hand under my thigh. What in the world is that? Well, let me tell you, in those days, it was a very serious and solemn oath was about to be taken. As they put the hand under the thigh, it represented again the, the circumcision and the promise of God to bless the seed that was to follow him. Some even believe it meant that if you do not fulfill this oath, then my children who come after me are going to bring vengeance upon you. But whatever it, and what it did mean was, this is a serious oath. And so as the servant comes into his master, this master whom he no doubt loves, who he's lived with for you know, his entire life for the most part, who comes in and has been given you know, free reign, who would have been his heir had it not been for Isaac. And he calls him in and says, I want you to take the most solemn oath you've ever taken. Imagine God coming to you and saying, okay, Dave, I've got a special mission for you. Now pay attention. Yes, Lord, right? What do you have? And that's exactly the case here. And Eleazar comes in. And he's ready to hear from his master. What does his master want him to do? And he says in verse 3, And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now, if it wasn't enough, put your hand under my thigh. This is a solemn oath. And now I'm going to make you swear by the God of heaven and the God of earth. I want you to swear this before Almighty God. God is our witness. Be attentive to what I'm about to tell you. Again, imagine being Eleazar. You sit there, okay, what, Master, what do you want from me? You know, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the holders, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. You know what? God is looking for men and women who will be available to be used by God, just like Eleazar here. God calls those who will make themselves available. Amen? Well, we'll say, Lord, I'm here. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me. 
You know what? God answers that prayer every time. Eliezer is available. God called, you know, the Abraham, his master, calls him in and says, we're going to swear this before Almighty God. And then he tells them what he's not going to do. Here's what I want you to not do. Don't do this. And he says, And you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Now this is a very clear command. This is what you are not to do. Do not. Now, the wording kind of gives the connotation that Abraham believes he may die before his son is married. And if that is to come about, he's giving very, very clear instructions. Look, you know, if I'm dead, whatever happens, let me tell you right now, you will not, before Almighty God, taking the oath fist under my thigh, taking this oath, you will not take a wife for my son from the children of the Canaanites. Now, we need to understand something, that even though Isaac is the son of promise, the people that live around him don't know that. Certainly maybe his family does, but people around him don't know that. And you know what Isaac is seen as in their land? He is seen as a wealthy son of a wealthy man. Maybe even the equivalent to some of a prince. Now in those days, if you were wealthy, marriage was more like a merger. You would look for another wealthy family or another kingdom that maybe had a princess, and you would join your families together through a marriage that would make you then both more you know, powerful, more wealthy, And so the expectation would be that you would look for somebody of great wealth, somebody of great success, somebody who would increase your own personal power within your land, and you would marry them that would then make the two families together stronger than the one was before. So that was the expectation. That's the cultural expectation. But you know what? It wasn't God's will. And you know what? Today, we see a similar expectation. Sometimes people are looking for, to, to marry someone of e, e, you know, greater or equal wealth or worldly status. The primary focus is often on wealth and education and what family and can he buy you a big house and how well will he take care of you. And can I tell you something? My prayer constantly for my son-in-law and my daughter's-in-law who I've yet to meet, every one of them is I have one thing I desire, that they be on fire for God, that they be spiritually mature. I don't care about anything else. And here's the heart of Abraham. He doesn't care about the wealth of the world. He doesn't care about his son, you know, being joined in prominence and power. He's not worried about the GPA of his prospective wives or what kind of degrees they've achieved. That's irrelevant. You know what he cares about? Where that with God. And he knows that the people of Canaan, guess what they are? They're idol worshipers. And he says, you are not going, I tell, you will not, before Almighty God, I, you know, I can't, it doesn't tell us how he said it. I have an idea. It was with a great sense of zeal. You will not marry my son to a Canaanite, idolatrous, pagan. Do you understand me? Uh, Yes, master. Okay, got it. Won't do that. Before Almighty God, put your hand under my thigh, right? You get it? I mean, this is what you will not do. Guys, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We are not to go to the world We are not to seek companionship from the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, let me say this, and we'll talk about it more in a few verses. That means you don't date an unbeliever, and we're not going to get married. You shouldn't be hanging out with somebody in that kind of relationship if marriage is not where you're headed. Amen? Do you know dating is less than 100 years old? 
you know, it's not, the, oh, everybody dates. You know what? Everybody's outside of God's will. Because God, I'm not saying you don't spend time with each other and get to know if that's a person God has for you. And you, Of course, you might call that dating. Please don't take me wrong. What I'm trying to say is that we shouldn't just bounce from person to person all of our life. Amen? We should be seeking the person God has for us and be prepared for them when God brings them to us. So the primary focus of the world is, you know, to find the stature and the person that will, you know, Everything that's not godly. But Abraham's a godly dad. He didn't care about what the culture saw as important. He only cared about his son being married to a godly woman. Period. Now, he said, you know, I don't care if she's a princess, a rich debutante, a beauty queen, irrelevant. I want to know where her heart is. So you will not allow my daughter to marry one. Boy, I like Abraham more after this chapter. Because that's so totally me, and I I catch heat for it. Oh, Pastor Dave, you can let your daughter... No, I won't. When she was two, I told people, she's not dating. She'll be courting to marriage, and that's it. Oh, you'll lighten up when she becomes a teenager, man. I'm t- no, no way. And guys, you know what? She was not happy with me for about three years in high school. On the first day of high school, I drove her to school and said, sweetheart, I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next four years if that's what it takes, because I'm going to be your dad. You got enough friends, I'm going to be your dad because I love you. I want God's highest for you and I'm going to protect you. And she would come to me and say, all the boys in my school are afraid of you. Now, I love everybody. You've been coming to our church, I hug everybody, I love everybody. I'm glad they were afraid of me. And, you know, the young guys would come up and say, oh, you know, I'm afraid of you. I'm like, you know, I lift weights so you will be afraid of me. Do you understand that? That is my function. I don't have to lift them. My daughter's married now, it's all good. But here's the point. The point, the point I'm making is that that's the heart of a dad for his daughter. That's the heart of a godly mom and dad for their, for their son, is I want you to be married to the person God has for you. And if I have to run interference and I have to have you be mad at me, okay, I'll do that. Because you'll thank me one day, and your husband will thank me one day, your wife will thank me one day. And you know what was awesome was my daughter was mad at me for a few years when I didn't let her go to the prom, I didn't let her do this, didn't let her do that. But you know what was awesome? Is she wrote me about a six-page letter three months after her and Kevin started courting saying, Dad, you were right, and it was worth it. Guys, it's worth it. And this is the heart of a dad, and I totally get it. So he says, this is what you won't do. Now watch, he's going to give him some, this is what you don't do, this is what you're going to do. This is what I want you to do. And he's going to give some attributes. Here's what he says, verse 4. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Look, he doesn't say, take a rich wife for my son Isaac. He doesn't say, take a debutante. He says, from my family. Now understand something. He's not being uh, bigoted or arrogant or, you know what he's saying? His family is the only people on the planet at the time who are serving the true and living God. The equivalent is, you will take for my son a wife who is a believer. You will take for my son a wife who believes and follows and seeks after God. You will not allow him to marry a pagan idol idol worshiper. You will Now again, does God love idol worshiper? Yes. Does he want to see them saved? Yes. Do we marry them? No. Well, that just seems kind of arrogant. That's not arrogant. It's wisdom because God said if you do that, you're going to have nothing but heartache. Amen? And we can have testimony time and have people come up here for the next hour, you know, 10 hours. I married an unbeliever. It was a disaster. Yes. God knows. Amen? He's faithful. He loves you. And so it was an absolute must that Isaac and his wife be completely united, equally yoked in their faith in God, that they would walk together and properly raise and instruct their children. You marry an unbeliever, you are going to have problems instructing your kids. 
You're gonna, they're going to have a divided uh, every time. Oh. And again, if you're here and you're married to an unbeliever because you got saved later, or, or for whatever reason, you know what? You be the salt and light of that home. You go home and love and minister to your family. But as we're going to see, it's important that she be mature in her faith, not just someone who's saved. Now, God, can I say this too? Pastor Dave's passionate about this. I was a youth pastor a long time. I saw a lot of disasters. Just because the other person is saved does not mean that's the person you're supposed to marry. Amen? Well, he walked down and prayed a prayer when he was nine, so that's good. No. You want somebody who is on fire for Jesus. Amen? And nothing short of that. If, if, if I meet your fiancé and we're talking for more than two minutes and they haven't said anything about Jesus, dump them. Amen? I mean, the point is this. You want somebody who is passionately in love with God. Nothing less. Not just a Christian, an on-fire Christian. A filled-with-the-spirit Christian. You know what? And, and ladies especially, guys will lie to you. No, really? Yes, they will lie to you. And they'll tell you whatever they got to tell you. Oh, man, that they lie. I'll be, yeah, I'm a Mormon. Yeah, whatever you are, I'll be that. Yeah, I'm good with that. They'll do that. And then you get married and they're had it. Go to church. I'm not going. I'm going surfing. You're out of your mind. And that's what happens. You want God's highest. Somebody on fire for God. Abraham's saying, I don't, look. You find for my son a, da- a, a wife from my family. Now, this doesn't sound like that big a deal. Okay, uh, unless you realize they live 500 miles away. And there are no planes and no cars. Camels. Riding on a camel for 500 miles through the desert. Puts a little more of a heavy-duty request here, right? I rode a camel in Israel for like 250 yards. I don't know how far it was. That, that was enough. I'm good. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Let's get me down now. And you know what? Camels do not smell good. They are nasty animals. So here he's telling him, I want you to go 500 miles, and I want you to bring me back a wife for my son. Okay, now, heart of a faithful servant. He hears the heart of his master. Here's the heart of his master. Sounds difficult. Guys, if God calls us to do it, he'll equip us to do it. Amen? And he'll go before us in it. He's a faithful God. So don't settle for less than God's highest. Don't try a missionary date. Don't say, oh, I'm going I'm to date him. Now. I'm going to change him. That's why I'm gonna. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Amen? You know what the person, the person that a person is before they date is only magnified after they get married? The guy that he is when he's single is going to be 10 times that when he's married to you. So don't do that. So God's highest for him, God's highest for you, as he would not be unequally yoked. And Abraham knew that God had a wife for his son. And he knew that that wife would be among his people. He had been praying. And he knew, God has a woman for my son, and he has a woman for... I believe that. Pastor Dave, my opinion, and I think it's a biblical one. I believe God has a person for you. People say, well, how do you know? Maybe he has a bunch you could choose from. Wait a minute. Then God's not sovereign. If God, God already knows who it is, right? Did he like wake up? Whoops, you married. He knows. He's God. So look what he says. Now look at his response. So go to Mike. Okay, 500 miles. Servants like tracking. Okay. Then verse 5. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. You know, if I go 500 miles and I show up and I got some stuff and the woman doesn't know who I am and I say, oh, by the way, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to leave your family and your friends and come back with me and marry some guy you've never seen before and with me, a guy you've never met before. But we're going to go 500 miles on camels to your husband. What do you think? He's like, you know, I don't think that's going to work too well. I think that's going to be really tough. So can I make it a little easier? Here's what I like to do. He says, must I take your son back to the land which you came? So, you know, if I could at least take your son with me, then I could, you know, walk up to the women and say, well, yeah, I'm from 500 miles away. And, uh, you know, my master sent me here, but hey, what do you think? A pretty good looking guy, right? You can marry him. I mean, you know, Isaac must have been a pretty good looking guy because he, if he was not good looking, he would not have wanted to take him. It would have been a hindrance, right? But instead, he's a good looking guy. Why don't you, can I take your son with me? And then I can show him off and then they'll, they'll look and say, hey, and then they'll marry him. But you know what? We shouldn't be marrying people based on how they look. Now, again, we will be attracted to the person we marry. I think my grandmother used to tell me that, you know, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes all the way down to the bone. But, you know, the, <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is that looks, it better go way beyond that. It's all about godly character. You want to marry somebody who loves God above all else, who, as you grow old together, there's an attraction there, but I think the most attractive thing is somebody who loves God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and a passion for the things of God. And so he asks him, you know, can I take him with me? Can I just take him with me? Come on, it'll help me out. It'll make my job a little bit easier. And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. That's pretty clear. Beware that you do not take my son back there. Oh, man. But you know why? He did not want his son to end up like Lot. He did not want his son to leave the land of promise where God had called him to, to go out and experience the 500 miles of everything that was in the land, going back to meet his wife, and being corrupted by the things that he saw. He wanted his son to stay right where he was. But guess what else I love about this? Isaac does not go hunting for his wife. Amen? He does what? He lets Eleazar, the Holy Spirit, bring his wife to him. What a lesson for us. Instead of hunting, you know, he caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and brought him his wife, right? Amen? He didn't say, okay, Adam, bow and arrow, go get you a good one. He didn't do that. He didn't hunt his wife. He didn't try to track her down. He didn't, you know, he didn't go, you know, put some gel in his hair and try to look good and buy a new sports car. He didn't do that. What did he do? He slept and God brought him his wife. He rested in the Lord and God brought him his wife. I love this picture that we see here. So bringing Isaac, his potential wife, it was God's plan for him. Now, you know what that's going to require? I love this because it's also going to require something. It's going to require more faith in his wife, isn't it? She's got to be willing to come having never seen him. She needs to have heard from the Lord and respond to the Lord and be willing to go 500 miles on camelback to go leave her family behind to be with the man that she believes God has for her. The only way you can do that is if you're hearing from the Lord. Amen? And Abraham did not want to muddy the waters. I don't want them coming because my son's good looking. I don't want them coming because they think my son's rich. I want them coming because they've heard from the Lord. And nothing short of that. You know, here's the great part about this. You might have thought, boy, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really difficult. I used to tell Ashley all the time, if the guy who wants to court you can be scared off by me, he's not the guy. 
And believe me, I put some scare in him. I had no problem with that. I thought, you know what, if he's going to keep, if you know what, if he can stand up to me because he's heard from God, I wasn't mean to him, but I was direct. And you know, hard to imagine, but you know what? The point is that that's my baby girl. You might as well come to my house and ask me for a heart transplant. You might as well ask for every worldly possession I have. You might as well ask to take both my legs off at the knee. It'd be easier than asking for my daughter. So, hey, you better be the guy God has. And if you're the guy God has, you won't scare easy. Kevin didn't scare easy. That's why he's married to my daughter. I, I, I told him, the first time you're alone with my daughter will be the last time you see her. Do you understand me? Do you have any problem with that? Oh, uh, I said, I'm going to stop being your pastor and be her dad for the next... Do, do you understand what I'm... T- oh, yeah. First time you'll be alone with her, I was on your wedding. Yeah, okay, there it is. You know what it is? Because if you're God's man, you will be willing to abide by it. Amen? And if this is God's woman... She's going to go by faith. She won't have to see Isaac. She'll hear from God and say, okay, Lord, I trust you and I'm going. And that's how he'll know it's the woman that God has for him. Verse 7. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Here's what he's saying. The God who promised that my son was the son of promise, who sent his angel to tell me he was the son of promise, that same angel is going to go out and tell the woman who's supposed to be married to him that you're supposed to go. And so God's going to go before us. Do you know what this is? This is faith, right? This is saying, okay, you know, the same God who promised me a son, the same God who's fulfilled every other promise, is the same God that said that my son and his wife would be the father and mother of a great nation. And that through them the Messiah would come. And for that to take place, he's going to have to have a godly wife. And for him to have a godly wife, the angel's going to have to speak to her. And you know what? I don't want it to be on the flesh at all. So I'm going to send, God's going to send his angel out there. And you just go out. And when the angel shows you the one, she'll come. Boy, I love that. I love that. You know, because there is a, a part of us that feels like we've got to close the deal. Well, somebody else might see her first. I better, you know, I, hey, someone, someone else is talking to her. Hey, guys. Gals, you don't have to fight and strive if it's God's will. Amen? If God has that person for you, God will take care of it. And that's exactly what, and guys, so have faith. Don't compromise. Don't try to help God. Right? Well, Isaac might have said, well, I need to go, Dad, because, you know, she got to see me. You know, she gets to look at this. I'm sure I'll have them lining up. I'll get to pick one. You know, that could have been his attitude. But instead it was, no, you trust God. Don't compromise. Don't try to help him. Trust God. Verse 8 and 9. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Look, if you go and no women will come back, don't come back or get my son and go back. Don't do that. And again, you can tell that he thinks he might die before this happens. So he's making sure, I don't care what happens, do not take my son back there. Do not take my son out of the land of promise. Do you know that Isaac in his lifetime never left the land of promise? Never left it. And so he's saying, he's staying here, go get his wife, and come back. And then it says, so the servant, okay, he knows the deal now, doesn't he? Is the command pretty clear? You go 500 miles, find his wife, godly woman of my family, bring her back here. Do not take my son. Do not pick up an idol-worshiping woman along the way or on your way back. Don't pretend like you went 500 miles and go down the block and bring back an idol-worshiper. Whatever you do, you actually go get her and bring her back, and nothing less than God's highest. And then it says, he put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So number one, 
the heart of a faithful servant. He knows the heart of his master. He knows his heart. Does he know his heart at this point? Are the directions very clear? Very clear. Now, second thing he does is he responds in faithful obedience to his commands. Because now he knows the heart of his master, but guess what? A lot of times we know what, the God, what God's telling us to do, and we don't do it. Is that true or not? God's telling you, do it. You ever been, I know you have. You ever had the Holy Spirit convict you to share your faith with somebody and then you don't do it? What's the answer? I want you to talk to him about me. But Lord, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. Don't we do that? Here, if we hear his voice, a faithful servant doesn't just hear his voice and delay. He does what God's called him to do. Look what it says in verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. Don't you love that? I want you to go 500 miles, and I want you to find my son's wife from my family and bring her back. And the next words are, then he got 10 camels and departed. He went. He took, no doubt, an entourage of people with him. He also took some wealth with him, which is a picture of faith as well, because he brought with him a dowry for the woman that would be Isaac's wife. This is an act of faith before he leaves, believing that when he gets there, God's going to do what, God, what Abraham said God was going to do. He believed it by faith that God was going to answer that prayer. So he brings the dowry, and using his master resources, he's going to take them with him. It says, for all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Again, at least 500 miles away. He takes the master's goods and uses them for the master's glory. That's what we're supposed to do, amen? We take the master's goods and use them for the master's glory. So he didn't sit back and wait, but he responded in faithful obedience. And now he's going to the city of Nahor. Nahor is Abraham's brother. So he's going to the city named after his brother. And in that land would be his family. Verse 11. And it says there, And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time. The time when women go out to draw water. So the caravan halts at the edge of the city, and now they wait upon the Lord. Now notice, though, I think this is interesting. He went to where he knew young women would come. Because who would draw the water? The young women would. And so he went to the place where he knew young women from the family would come. Again, he wasn't out bar hopping, right? He wasn't going out trying to... He went to where he knew the godly women would be. Now, you shouldn't come to church to find your spouse, but if you're going to find your spouse somewhere, church is probably a good place. Amen? Don't go you know, looking for... But if you go and hang out where God's people are, you're more likely to meet a godly person. Amen? But if you go out and hang out with the world, don't be surprised when you find someone that's worldly. So he goes, he waits, the young women, the, and you know what? Not only the young women would come out, but the young women that had a heart to serve their families. Because here he is, he's looking not only for a godly woman, but he's looking for a godly woman with character that has a heart of a servant. And where am I going to find her? I'm going to find her at the well, going out there at night to get water for her family and carrying it back on her shoulder. And so he sits outside and he's waiting there. So the third point of the heart of a faithful servant, not only does he obey the master's plans, but now he comes to the Lord in specific believing prayer. Look at verse 12. Then he said, so he gets there, he's waiting upon the Lord, and as he's waiting upon the Lord, he doesn't just sit there and stare at the sky, he seeks God's face. Guys, as we're waiting upon the Lord, be praying. 
Amen? As we're waiting upon the Lord about this building in Scotts Valley, let's be praying. Amen? God's will be done. We don't want it unless God wants us to have it. Now look at verse 12. So it says there, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. He arrives, he prays for God's will and for his master's blessing. Now how is he going to know the girl that God chose for his master's son Isaac? Well, he knew some of the qualities. She had to be of God's people. She must be a godly and virtuous woman. But there are other godly qualities he's going to be looking for as well. And this is a good list for a spouse. And we're going to see that as we go through this. What are some of the things he's going to be looking for? Verse 13. Behold, now watch what happens. He's going to put out a test or a fleece in a sense. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. He's praying to the Lord. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, all I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now in those days, they didn't have the written scriptures the way we do. And I, I believe that it's pretty faithless today to put out a fleece before God. I believe what we need to do is read the word of God and obey it. Amen? But in those days, he didn't have the Bible. And so he comes before God, and he wants to know God's heart, and he's seeking to know God's will, and he says, okay, Lord, show me which one it is. I don't want to mess up. Lord, I want to be in the center of your will. I want to do what's right for my master and his son. So if it be the one, when she comes out, have her care, you know, not only offer me some water, but offer to give water to my camels. Now understand something. This was not a small thing. Camels drink a lot of water. The average camel, I read this, reads about, drinks about 25 gallons of water. You got, 10, you got 10 camels? That's 250 gallons of water. So he's not asking for a small thing. The first person who walk, comes out here wearing a dress, let that be the one. Now that's not what he did. You know, <laughs> make it easy for anyone to qualify. What does he do? He's like, Lord, I have faith in you that you can do anything, and the one that you have, God, you know what? You can bring about even her watering all the camels, which would be a heavy undertaking. Because you got to understand something. They would take that pitcher on their shoulder and then walk up steps to the well and then lower the bucket down and then fill up the pitcher, fill up the pitcher, fill up the pitcher. Once it was full, put on her shoulder, walk back down to the trough and pour it in and do that a couple hundred times. This is not a small task. So he's asking, Lord, if this be the one. You know what we learn from these qualities? First, a woman who would do that would be a woman who is, is kind. A woman who looks at someone else, sees their need, and is willing to put herself out to minister to them. It's also a woman who's a hard worker. He, you know, he's not looking for her uh, you know, sleeping in the shade. He's looking for her at the well, where she'd be faithful, serving. He's also looking for a woman of purity. A woman who had waited for the man God has for her. And again, we know he's looking for a woman of the right family. Again, don't be unequally yoked. So when the woman comes out, he's going to have to have three things happen to know it's the woman. One, when he asks her for a drink, she needs to give him some water. Two, after asking her for a drink without another word from him, no help from him, she's going to offer to water his camels and then follow through. And then thirdly, she has to be from the family of Abraham. That's pretty specific. He's praying. He's seeking God's face. And you know what? This list may seem impossible. Amen? You read that list, who, wh- when's that woman coming? That ain't going to happen. You know what, guys? 
Our God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Amen? And I keep using my daughter because they just got married. But I'll tell you what, my bar for my son-in-law was right here. I didn't think anybody was good enough for my daughter. I'm just being transparent. And I'm probably most dads in here feel the same way. But you know what? I said this to my, to my son-in-law at his wedding at the end when I shared challenges. I said, Kevin, you are everything that I prayed for for 19 years and more. My daughter's more in love with God today than the day she met you. You're an answer to prayer. You know what? Our God can do that. And our God can have a woman come out and be this woman. And so watch what happens. Last point. The heart of a faithful servant. He knows the heart of the master. He responds in faithful obedience to his commands. He comes to the Lord in specific believing prayers. He sought God's faith, face. And now he waits patiently for God to answer. And when you read this, you might say, well, he didn't wait very patiently. But watch what happens. And I love this. Verse 15. Now watch what it says. And it happened before he had finished speaking. He's praying. He's not even done yet. Now some of you go, man, how come my prayers don't get answered like that? I pray and pray and pray and pray. I don't, yeah, what do you mean he waited upon the Lord? Well, he does wait, and you're going to see it as we go through the text here fairly quickly. But he is praying, and all of a sudden, the first one out to gather water, it says, and then behold, Rebekah who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Guess who the first one out to get water for her family is? It's Rebecca. I believe that says something about her already. You know, when you ask your kids to do a chore, do they do it like immediately all the time? Or do they kind of like to put it off? And you know what? I love that she's the first one out. That says a lot to me about Rebecca. And so the servant may have thought, hey, I traveled 500 miles. I might have to sit here for a year. How long is it going to take? But guess what? The first one who came out, the servant had obeyed. He had prayed according to God's will. And before there could be any distractions by other women coming to the well, Rebecca comes out first. And again, it says a great deal about her character. So she's the first one there. Verse 16. Now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold. You know, the Bible is pretty heavy on understatement when it talks about human beings. So that tells me she was very beautiful to behold. And you know what? Notice that's a part of who she is, but it's not the most important part. But I will say this again. The person God has for you will be attractive to you. And so the greatest qualities are yet to come. And it says there in verse 16, the young woman was very beautiful to behold a virgin. She was a woman of purity. It says no man had known her. So here comes this beautiful young virgin. She comes walking out. And I love how Isaac is not striving. He's back in his land. And God, what's God doing? God's bringing him the most beautiful, wonderful woman. Without him striving or being Rico Suave or anything, right? Without him trying to make the moves on her or close the deal, he rests in the Lord. And who does God bring him? The most awesome woman. And I just love that picture. And then it says there, She went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her. Now, 500-mile trek, he's thinking, hey, finally. Hey, maybe this is the one. Hey, it's the first one, but who knows? Maybe God will do it. So he runs to meet her. He's excited. And he thinks, well, let's just see what happens. Let's put this to the test. So the servant prays, but he also takes action. Do you notice that, guys? He prayed for the woman, but then when she showed up, he went. Let me find out if this is her. Why We don't sit in a cave somewhere waiting for God to bring that. You know, again, we rest, we wait, but we can still, you know, have a conversation. And so that's what he does. 
He goes to her and he runs to her to find out if this is the one. And then he says to her, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Okay, test number one. Is she going to let him do it? If she does, maybe. So she said, drink, my Lord. He's like, ooh, cool. Now, she's, he's drinking the water. Now, wouldn't there be a temptation? Well, you know, she's pretty and she's a virgin. Why don't I just tell her to give the camels water? I mean, you know, I might be helping God a little bit. He doesn't do that. This is where he's showing patience. This is where he's waiting upon the Lord. He's not making it happen. Guys, let's not make God's will happen. It's not God's will then, right? We should be able to rest and watch God work. Now, watch what it says. Then she quickly let her pitcher down from her hand and gave him a drink. And when, he had fish, and when she had finished giving him a drink, I will draw water for your camels also until they've all finished drinking. Can you imagine the servant who's traveled 500 miles? Could have taken months with these camels. And he meets the first one and she gives him water and then she says she's going to water his camel. I imagine his heart. <laughs> hey, this could be it. But I love the fact that we don't see him help, him help her. Now, it would have been valiant for her to help, but he wants to see if this is really her heart. Not just she's going to say she's going to do it, but does she really do it? If she'd stopped at eight camels, she wasn't the one. It was ten camels, all the water for all of them, if this is the one that God has for his master's son. So he waits. He's not trying to manipulate it. And she says, I will draw the water. The first woman out, she gives it to him, and now she's watering them. Now watch this. I love this part. This shows a lot on her character again, and we're almost done. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and drew water for all his camels. Can you imagine this man as he's sitting there, and this young, beautiful, godly, virgin woman is running back and forth getting water for his camels? And he's sitting there going, you got to be kidding. Look how God does stuff. Look how faithful God is. But guess what? Test isn't done, is it? There's one more question. What is it? Whose family are you from? Because you know what? She can be the most beautiful woman. She can be the most virtuous woman from the world's perspective. She can be wealthy. She can be industrious. But if she's not a believer, not the woman for you. Amen? He can be the most you know, wealthy, industrious man, seem to be great from the outward appearance. But if he's not a born-again believer, he's not the man for you. So there's still one more question. It's not done, but I love how we see her running back and forth in what is not an easy task as she drew for all of his camels. And again, he just watched. Now, and the man, verse 21, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Even though his heart was probably beating out of his chest, he was probably excited after this months of long journey. He's finally got there. This woman seems to answer it. He doesn't strive. He waits upon the Lord. That's a word for many of us tonight. We need to wait upon the Lord. Two out of three tests have been passed, but there's still one more. She's kind, she's beautiful, she's compassionate, she's energetic, she's strong, she's all these things. But is she the one? Verse 22. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring, weighing half a shekel, and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing ten shekels of gold. So he gives her this gift because of who she's been. He blesses her with it. So 4,000 years ago, there were already nose rings. So there's nothing new under the sun, okay? It's not a new deal. They're always, you know, and that's fine, okay? Now, verse 23. Whose daughter are you? Guys, that's like us asking the question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Where are you with the Lord? 
Who's your hero? Who's the most important thing in your life? Who do you follow completely? Who do you love more than anyone else? That's the question. And if the question is anything other than Jesus Christ, keep moving. Amen? And the question here is the same. And if she had said anything other than someone from the family of Abraham, it didn't matter what other qualities she had, she was not the woman for Isaac. Guys, don't be snowed by the qualities of the world. We want the one God has for us. And the one God has for us will be madly and passionately in love with him. And it says there, tell me please, whose daughter are you? And tell me please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? Verse 24, here it comes. So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Nahor is Abraham's brother. She is the granddaughter of Nahor, which means she is the great niece of Abraham and the second cousin of Isaac. She's part of the family. In our day, she's a believer. Now, that heart that was pounding is now beating out of his chest. This is it. Incredible. This is the one. And watch this. We're not done with her qualities as we finish up. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feet enough and room to lodge. Not only is she beautiful, not only is she a, you know, a virgin waiting for her husband, not only is she godly and a woman of character and hardworking, but she's hospitable. Bring your whole entourage, bring all your camels, come back to my house. She has no idea why he's there. She's just being hospitable, but it shows the character of this woman. And look how he responds, verse 26. Then the man bowed down, bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. Guys, when God answers prayer, prayer, we need to thank him. Amen? Too often we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and then it's answered and we forget. Oh yeah, okay, thanks. No. We need to pray just as fervently after he's answered our prayers before he answers it. Amen? We need to have just as thankful a heart. And here we see the heart of Eliezer, the servant. He's blown away. Look what God has done. I was given the seemingly impossible task by my master. He sends me 500 miles away. I get here and you know what? I, I fall before the Lord and the first woman out is the one that God has. Wow. An angel had sent, gone before me. An angel had prepared the way. This is God's will. Guys, when it's God's will, we don't have to strive. He, thought, he might have thought, I'm going to have to knock on every door in town to try to find her. You know what? You don't have to do that when it's the Lord. You don't have to beat every door down. You can wait and rest in him. And then the last verse, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. This is his prayer who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You know what I love this? Being on the way, the Lord led me. As he was just walking in the will of God, God brought the divine appointments into his path. Guys, as we just live every day for the Lord, God is going to bring the divine appointments into our path. Amen? We don't need to go witnessing, although that's a blessing. We need to be witnesses all the time. Wherever you're going, you're a witness. As you step out of here, you're going into your mission field. So guys, as we're walking with the Lord, guess what? He's bringing God incidences into our life. Not coincidences, amen? And they come into our life and he said, I'm just doing what God told me to do. I'm being obedient to my master. And as I went, God brought it right into my path. That's the God that we serve. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. That's Psalm 37, 23. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So we've looked at it tonight from the heart 
of the servant. Next week, we'll look at it from the heart and the, and the perspective of Rebecca and Isaac and Abraham. But so far from the, the servant's heart being asked to do seemingly the impossible, but he knew the heart of his master. And knowing the heart of his master, he responded in faithful obedience to his commands. And then he came to the Lord in specific believing prayer, and then he waited patiently for God to answer. Even though the words were barely out of his mouth, he didn't try to help her with the camels. He didn't try to force the issue. He trusted and waited upon God. And you know what? God led him right to the woman he had for his master's son. Next week, we're going to see him now go interact with Rebecca's family. And we're going to see Laban, who's not such a good guy, as we move on in later chapters. But I just love Rebecca's heart, and I love that picture of the church. And man, it's just an awesome and a wonderful chapter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you and worship your most holy name. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we ask you would help us to have the heart of this servant, who I believe to be Eleazar, have the heart of one who hears your still small voice and responds in obedience to what you've called us to do. Father, we know you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Lord, go before us in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray as we walk in the center of your will, you would bring people into our paths. Lord, an opportunity for us, Lord, to reach out, to minister to people in love. And Father, I do pray for anybody who's here tonight who's single. Lord, I pray they would not strive in the flesh, but they would rest in you. And Lord, we pray for the spouses of our children. Lord, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, even now you'd prepare them for our children. you prepare our children for them. And Lord, we can't wait to see and watch you work and bring godly couples together. Lord, we just thank you that you're the ultimate matchmaker. And Lord, we rest and we trust in you. So Lord, be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close a worship song.